Hey, this is Dr. Nick Sotelo bringing you episode 21 of the Upgraded Life podcast. In today's interview, I'm going to bring you Todd Palmer. One of the things that Todd does and does very well is that he's a coach for executives and CEOs. So we're going to talk quite a bit about organizational leadership, but you're not going to want to miss Todd's own rags to riches story. When his company was completely drowned in debt, but with hard work and determination, he took that company clear to the top of Inc. 5000 fastest growing businesses six different times. Todd credits part of this turnaround to the fact that when he didn't know what else to do, he himself turned to a coach. So buckle in because Todd's going to bring us his best take on coaching, mindset, and organizational leadership. Hello, thanks for tuning in to the Upgraded Life podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Sotelo. The Upgraded Life is my personal project where I help people realize and reach their potential. I've been a professional helper for 20 years. Here's what I'm convinced of. The life that you have right now and the life that you want tomorrow is a product of your personal mindset, mission, and movement. Each episode of the Upgraded Life podcast is going to give you something that you can do as soon as the episode is over to upgrade your personal mindset. Your mindset informs your mission. Your mission tells you how to move every single day. And together, that is The Upgraded Life. All right, I am here with another episode of The Upgraded Life podcast. And today I have Todd Palmer. And Todd's done a lot of things in his life, and he and I have a lot of overlap in terms of the things that we are focused on right now with the things that we're doing to help other people. But just to kind of run through a couple highlight points for Todd Palmer and what he's doing is that he's a CEO coach. He's written a book. He is an excellent speaker. I've caught some of his um, talks on online, and you should too. And he has done something that a lot of people can't say, probably most people can't say. He's taken a, a struggling business that was massively in debt and then taken it all the way out of that hole and reached Inc.'s top 5,000 companies. He did it six times, right? So that's just an amazing um, testament of, of grit and fortitude and getting after it. And so I'm hoping that he's going to be able to share some of that, how he did that and how he teaches other people to do that with me and for the folks who are listening to this podcast. And he also has a passion for leadership, right? In, in the work that he does with CEOs, coaching CEOs, uh, helping organizations maximize what they do, aligning with their core values. And he's just talking about all the stuff that I talk about all the time and stuff that I talk about uh, at home with my family, at work with the people that I lead and, and help. I'm excited for this. Todd, thank you for being here. Um, I'm going to throw it over to you. What did I miss in the intro? Wow, I should just hire you to come with me everywhere I go. You, you make me sound like an amazing guy. I appreciate that so much. And I agree with you. I think our, our theories are very much in aligned. I, I think our core mindsets and our core beliefs are very, very much lockstep with each other. And as we were kind of talking about a little bit before we got on here, you know, the challenges that, that we see people face, whether they're you know, just getting out of school, whether they're just in the early stage of a career or CEOs are, are very much the same. And I find that the, the coaches, that, the people that I coach and the leaders that I deal with have the same challenges that, you know, the high school athletes that I talk to have. And a lot of it's, they require inside out work. 
and the challenges they have around fear, the challenges they have around self-doubt. Um, and and the, the ch when they're not able to recognize that the challenges in order to, you know, you want to change your sports career, start with yourself first. You want to change your business, start with yourself first. You want to change your marriage, you want to change your parenting, you want to change your career. It's always inside out work. It never, never works the other way. I get, you know, I've gotten offers, hey, come in and be our CEO, change our team. I'm like, that's not what I do. What I do mm -hmm. is I help leaders go in inside out from the perspective, how do we work in our mindset? Where are you at? What's working for you and what's not? Then what, you know, the second piece I tie into that is what is your intention, not your expectation of what you want to see happening? And I had to do that with my story. Um, third piece is we create a strategy around that intention. And then we do massive amounts of action around that to see what works and what doesn't. And ultimately what that does is going inside out, it takes the complex and it makes it simple. I mean, think about with the world we live in right now, a lot of complexity, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of challenges out there that if we can just slow it down, break out some of those pieces, take one step at a time, a lot of things can happen. And what people get really excited by is once they take one step and then you get two steps, then they get motivated. Then they start rolling through it versus I think some of the old school mindset. I know I had this when I was growing up as a kid. Um, you know, I'm going to get motivated and then I'm going to take action. Well, take some actions. Then the motivations come off of those actions, even if those actions necessarily don't produce the results you're immediately seeking. Absolutely. No, I love that. I'm, I'm a big believer is that you, you got to have action. You know, my, the way I work with people is, you know, mindset, um, mission and movement, but really movements is, is the most important part of it. And that you have to, um, be willing to risk failure, right? I mean, it's really what oh, yeah. it is and learn from it. You know, and it's, it's such a great point. And, you know, really, if you think about it, I, so I still use it. So I coach and I use a coach and I use a coach who's a neuroscientist and we talk a lot about failure and I used to call it failing forward. He's like, you know, the reality is from a scientific perspective, failure doesn't technically even exist because if you try something and you quote unquote fail at it, what is the reality of that? Well, I've tried it and I've learned from it and now I'm going to try something else and then I'm going to learn from that. And it's in that, that flywheel effect of continually trying new things that momentum, like you talk about, occurs. So failure, you know, and, that, and I, I give him full credit. His name is Dr. Danny Friedland. And, you know, he goes, failure is just a construct. If I've learned and I've tried and I've learned and I've tried, I've never actually ever failed. It's when we stop trying is when the failure occurs. Right. It's like old Thomas Edison and his light bulb story, right? Yeah, well, you know, 10,000 times it didn't work. <laughs> but I learned 999,000 times how not to do a light bulb, right? So. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And I think yeah. it's, it's so, especially as we look at the world as it continues to change and as it continues to evolve, so many companies are having to pivot and shift. Families are having to pivot and shift. You know, education, you know, kids are still, you know, what is this, May? Kids are supposed to still be in school. Mm -hmm. Most kids in the United States currently aren't in school. Doesn't mean they should stop learning. Absolutely. Doesn't mean the spring break or, or summer break started early. Yeah. What else can we do to help challenge them to, to acquire the knowledge to best serve them? You know, 10 years. I mean, education is planting seeds now for 10 years down the line. Absolutely. Yeah. And we have, and I know you have a lot of comment on uh, societal influences and the way that society shapes us, but you know, the way that we as a society have just said, here, education system, you do all of these things for our kids. And then, you know, the people that brought these kids into the world kind of take a back seat to that. Well, how's that working out now? <laughs> right? And, well, you know, 
parenting is not a passive sport. Uh, and it's so tough. I, one of my greatest recruiters, his name was Jeremy, used to be a school teacher. I didn't even know this. Then I'd hired him and we're talking one day at lunch. He goes, yeah, you know, I used to teach school. So why don't you teach school anymore? Love the kids. Administration was challenging to deal with, but I knew it was part of the gig. It was the parents that actually drove him out of teaching because they, they wouldn't get engaged. They wouldn't support the kids. They wouldn't help with the homework at home. And it, it's, it's a tragedy because, you know, if, if, if young people could live on their own, they would, but they need parents. And it, it's so important that to recognize that parenting, again, is it, it's a 24-7, 365 job. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the proper structure to your parenting thought process, you know, it's just like a, a parenting plan should be no different than a business plan. There should be structure and guidelines. We're going to try things that didn't work. You know, again, so I have a 10-year-old who lives in my house. And she was supposed to be in school. Well, we, we started trying to do homeschooling. I'm flat out telling you, man, that did not work. It, we weren't good at it. She wasn't receptive to it as we would have liked her to have been. But the reality was our intention was we've got to get her, her, her ready for next year. School's not available to her through, not a fault of the school, but the way it goes. So we hired her a tutor. She's getting more work done in one hour with, in, a, in a crying-free, stress-free environment for us at a, as a household than she would have gotten done in an entire day. For the 20 bucks an hour we spend with the tutors, like, it's, not even an, it's not an expense. It's an investment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's an it's a energy saver, home saver as well. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Good on you for doing that. Um, inside out work, uh, that's intriguing to me and I, and I'm a believer, but I love the way that you have, you know, framed that up for folks. So let's, let's use me as a Guinea pig. So, so, you know, so, so inside out work is, is something I had to learn. Um, uh, and it, it was such a challenge. So I'll, it's tough to do inside work with somebody I've just met unless they really want to share what their challenges are. Sure. So, why don't I stay, take a step back? I'll tell you a little bit about how the inside work had to go through me. Maybe you'll hear something in the story, then we can take it into you. Because the last thing I want to do is be prescriptive. That's not fair. Right. Um, so back in two, I started my company in 1997. Nine years later, by 2006, um, I was $600,000 in debt. I was two months away from running out of all of my money. I was going to lose my, my home, which I personally guaranteed to the bank. My son and I were living there as a single parent. Kids freaking out. I'm not doing so well. My imposter syndrome, my itty bitty negative committee in my head was screaming loud and proud about how I was a terrible CEO. I was going to be a failure as a parent. I was an awful human being because my, my ego was telling me, my pride was telling me that if the company was great, I was great. If the company was awful, I was awful. Mm-hmm. I had, was a, doing a lot of avoidance. I was doing a lot of distancing from my staff. I wasn't holding them accountable because I it was more important for me to be liked than to be successful. Um, I, I didn't want to lean into uncomfortable conversations. I was conflict averse. Not con- I would not engage in difficult conversations. I didn't know how. And I, I was about ready to lose everything. And it's kind of like a, the crescendo in a movie. So what, what did the hero of our story do? I reached out for help for the first time in my life. And I hired a coach. And he taught me financial literacy really quickly. So I could see where the, the holes in the boat were because I didn't even know how I'd gotten there. Second thing he did is we, we did an analysis of the team. We took a look at, you know, did they fit the core values of the company? Did, were they going the right direction? Were they productive and, and accountable? And they weren't. They weren't accountable because of me. I was, as a leader, I had to lead differently. So the coach is challenging me. You've got to show up differently. You've got to participate differently. 
And I walked in in September of 06 and I fired my entire company and I started over. We then had an intention. So what wasn't working? My, my leadership style was not working. Mm-hmm. I think the story clearly illustrates. Second thing is I had to have an intention about what I needed to do. My intention was to get out of debt. I had to get, I had to deal with that. Well, I didn't know how I was going to deal with it yet. So put some strategies in place, tried those strategies. Some of those strategies worked. Some of them didn't work and that was okay. Coach kept saying, here, do five positive things every day. Do five positive things every day and keep what works and get rid of what doesn't. And just, and he just kind of got me on this perpetual treadmill of activity. Mm-hmm. Started seeing some results of those activities. And within eight years, we paid off that $600,000 in debt. And we hockey sticked the business. It made the Inc. 5000 as well as the fastest growing companies in America an amazing six times. Which if you look at how Inc. measures that, it's about an 11-year growth trajectory. So... You know, it, the, I had someone reach out to me recently. Hey, I want to hire you as my coach because I want to make the Inc. 5,000 six times. I'm like, yeah, I'm not that guy. <laughs> that was a result. That was a byproduct of getting my intention to get out of debt, my intention to turn the business around, my intention to make sure my kid wasn't homeless. The byproduct, the happy result was, yeah, we, we got the, the debt secured. We took care of it, paid it off faster than we thought we would, and we grew the business. But, you know, for, for most entrepreneurs, I've got to help anchor them in and what they want and why they want it. And that's, you, you know, you, I was thinking at one point that would be the easiest question in the world to ask, but I'm finding it's really, really challenging. I don't know if you see it in the work you do, but when to someone say, I want this for these reasons, it, it's, it's often for me taking them back to you know, when they're five, six, seven years old. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'm trained as a therapist. I have a PhD in counseling, so you're right on the money. I was trained and I train other people that the presenting problem nine times out of 10, it isn't the problem. Oh, (laughs) I love that. It is never the presenting problem. It's a, I don't know about for you, but for me, it was totally a byproduct of, Mm -hmm. of childhood issues. So like when I was five years old, it's crazy. You know, within 90 days, my father, you know, unexpectedly passed away. He was a young man. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. She had to go to work because she hadn't been working. She was raising me. My older brother got an athletic scholarship out of state. Well, of course, he's going to take that. And my older sister had gotten engaged and was moving across the Mm -hmm. country, which we knew. So within 90 days, my entire core family unit was gone for all very adult, logical reasons. Um, But as a five-year-old, the story I told myself was the only person I can rely on is me. Mm -hmm. I'm the only constant, which at times served me really, really well. Until it didn't like getting my business off the ground. I could do everything and I could outwork anybody. And that worked until I got $600,000 in debt and needed to ask for help for the first time. (laughs) Yeah. One of the earlier shows that I did. So part of what I do here is I I have a lot of experience and knowledge in the field of psychology and counseling. And so I did a show on uh, earliest memory work. And so Mm. just like, just like you did talked about there, I would, uh, I work people back to their earliest memory just to see how that message or, you know, the script that we adopted back then um, is still active in the here and now. Right. And so if you were still of that five year old mentality of the only person I can count on is myself, you're going to run into trouble. Right. In your in your adult years. Cause, and I did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But so, I'll go say, but now it's like, it's crazy because the, I used to be so ashamed of it. I used to have a lot of guilt carrying with it. I'm sure you run into that with the people you run into. But the, so I didn't tell anybody about September 9, 2006, when I fired everybody and I started over for years. <laughs> now it's the thing I talk about pretty much on a daily basis. So you know, the, the new story I tell myself is that mess has now become my message to be of service to others. Mm-hmm. So, 
so I thank you for taking that step back and you know giving us a glimpse at least you know, from your lived experience about inner work right so um, just to see if I caught it you can do a spot to where it was do or die in terms of your business and probably in terms of a lot of other areas of your life and so is that piece of I don't know what else to do I, I have to get help right and so mm -hmm. for you for you was that part of that that inner inner work that you had to do like what was that like internally to, to, oh, shift, to shift that for very much so for you know I've got a, a, some clients of mine who are in 12-step programs and they say when I tell them that it's like oh dude you hit bottom totally I had hit bottom and you know it's it's so interesting so to hit bottom was like okay I, I now for the first time need to reach out beyond me because I'd insulated I lived my life in a vacuum and I'd you know, bounce ideas off of myself to make decisions. And again, it worked for a while until it didn't. And there's, you know, it's, it's tough for entrepreneurs sometimes to understand that, you know, businesses have plateaus and at those plateaus, sometimes you need to change leaders out. You need to shift yourself mm -hmm. out. Sometimes the worst CEO of a company could be the entrepreneur. They can still own the business, but maybe hiring a CEO or a COO is the right option. So yeah, so for me, definitely was kind of that hitting that entrepreneurial bottom and it's, it's fascinating for me to, to look back at, I needed to change things because of the, the mistakes and the choices I made. You know, so me, it definitely was inside out work to say, all right, I need a better existence. I got to change me. I'm the only one who, who's going to be a constant because it is my business. It is my personal guarantee. I need to change inside out based upon choices and decisions I made. Fast forward to 2020, I had to change my business again, my speaking and coaching business because of COVID. And my marketing of getting on stage to speak to audiences, hopefully someone in the audience is my ideal customer. They're going to want to engage me and we're going to create a coaching relationship from there. Well, COVID wasn't anyone's fault per se. <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't just choices I made. In fact, I had six gigs. I was supposed to be in South Africa last week on stage. How cool was that? I could right. not wait. Well, now I've got plenty of time because I'm home. How can I get my message out differently? How can I adjust and change differently based upon changes being forced upon me? And the crazy thing is I've done 42 different coaching calls in the eight weeks that I've been stuck at home. And I've impacted entrepreneurs literally from far away as South Africa, from Brazil, from several places in Canada, China, India. These people, I've just been able to, to be of servant leadership to them in their time of need, all from my house. It's just crazy but if i hadn't pivoted and changed based upon the changes thrown down upon me by forces beyond my control i'd just be sitting around you know netflixing myself to death putting on 40 pounds tiger king yes yeah, well, <laughs> i guess hey, we all need escapism right <laughs> right that's right that's right and you know like you were saying nobody no one person is responsible for covid19 but if it wasn't for covid19 guess what todd palmer would not be on the upgraded life podcast that's a great way to, that, that's why you're the guy, you know, you, you, you've upgraded the situation right, right there. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so part of the way that I understand that you work, you know, in your professional capacity is helping, you know, leaders and employees understand their company's core values and how to execute on those core values. But I'm, I'm guessing that that's also part of the work that you did for yourself and that you do with other people when you're working one-on-one -on -one type coaching. Is, is that true? And then- to Oh, tell, gosh, totally. Tell me your take right. on, on core values and how that works yeah. in, in what you do with folks. Oh, for sure. If, I mean, for business, core values are really simple. It's not a core value if you won't hire and fire by it. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to find. <laughs> like, no, no, no 
no gray area around that. Yeah. You know, when you say, I had a CEO one time say, you know, one of our core values is honesty as the, the CFO is telling me, yeah, the CEO is skimming money off the top. I'm like, well, huh, let's talk about that. So, you know, it happens in all facets of life. When I, you know, when the business was doing poorly and I had to revamp the team, I created this process to hire my entire replacement staff based on just core values. And we created a process called hire for DNA, not for resume, mm -hmm. because what we used to do was only hire for your resume, essentially, if you had a recruiting background, an HR background, things such as that, that fit right into our sweet spot. But we figured out that I want great people in my environment. Uh, I, it's so key. It's so important. And I could take someone who I deem fits our core values, who they buy in on our core values, and teach them to be a great recruiter. And I think you're going to see a lot of that methodology going forward out of this pandemic as people are saying to their employers, listen, I like working from home. I'm still productive. Do I fit your core values? Can we work it differently together? Because there are going to be companies. I've got one right now. He's hired five people in the last three weeks because they're a virtual company. He's hiring only on their core values. They're teaching them my DNA to resume process. And they're, they're going to double their business because they're looking at the way of employment differently and they're doing it all based upon their core values. The challenging part, and I'm sure you know this, is getting people to really anchor in their core values. What do I believe in? Mm -hmm. And I always say, if you don't have a, a great story to tie to your core values, then maybe it's not a core value. And, and I take it back to a guy I met, oh my gosh, when did I meet Tony? This would have been probably 10 years ago. Tony Shea from Zappos. They, they do everything on core values. They do everything on delivering happiness. They, they came up with you know, free shipping to, to disrupt an industry based upon their core values. They pay, and the crazy thing is, if you really look at the math, they actually pay lower than most of their competitors, and they have a waiting list of people who want to work there. So I always say to companies, it's not always just about the money. Yeah. It was a Daniel Pink's book, right, about um, drive, right? Yeah, correct. You've got to pay people enough to, to make money not be a constant factor in their head, right? But it's not necessarily the, the driving factor. Autonomy, mastery, and purpose. That's what people are, are looking for according to his you know, angle on the work in the, in the workforce there. So, Well, if you take it back to your work and your experience, I'm sure Maslow's hierarchy of needs mm -hmm. is something you refer to often. You know, it, money is, if, you, if you address their baseline needs, then you build off of mm -hmm. there. You can create a great company and a great culture. And you know, we have a story at Diversified the, the six timing 5,000 company where we had an employee who made a huge error. We used to send out payroll checks, you know, before ACH and, and, and debits and everything else. And she was, her job was to print the check, signature stamp the check and put it in an envelope. Well, she printed the check and put it in an envelope and sent out 600 checks. Didn't sign any of them. So essentially they're, they're worthless pieces of paper. In tears in my office, Friday at noon, she started getting calls. Hey, I can't cash my check. Hey, I can't cash my check. She's like, she owned it. One of her core values was honesty and integrity. She owned it. I made a mistake. I will stay until all weekend if I have to, to get this corrected. I, I, and if you want to fire, and she was just so right up front. I was so proud of our team. They, the whole company stopped. We all came together. We started putting processes in place, calling companies, calling candidates, getting everybody. Hey, we realized the mistake is ours. We owned it. We're going to make it right, buy it within 12 hours. So everybody worked on set. We got it all taken care of. Client calls me on Monday who had been out on Friday, but heard about the debacle. So what happened when you fired her? I said to my client, I said, Jackie, I, I didn't fire her. She lived up to our core values. This has now become part of our, our legacy story play. Is it a story she's really excited about? Of course not. 
but I can't say that honesty and integrity are part of what our core values are and then throw her under the bus for owning it immediately as soon as she discovered her mistake. Sure. <laughs> That's a great story. And I love that concept about hiring and firing according to core values. Otherwise, they're not core values, right? Well, yeah, and, they're just, uh, they're just hopes and dreams. <laughs> and DNA over resume. I, I recently tapped into um, Mark Devine's book, Way of the Seal, and he talks a similar thing that you, you hire for character first, skill second. Um, yeah. Not that you can completely hire an unskilled person, depending on what the position is, but you, you have to weigh character over skill. Well, I, I think it's uh, going back to, back to baseline. So I had a client of mine who was looking to hire an accounting person. Clearly, that's going to be an experienced base type. You've got to be able to be in a, you got to have accounting, you know, whether it's a CPA or an accounting mm -hmm. degree or whatever they need. I said, okay, so, so get the baseline and then the next level up, hire for DNA, mm -hmm. hire for your Corveos. Yes, whether you're a programmer, whether you're a, a machinist with skill sets, a welder, an accounting person, a truck driver, what, yes, there's a certain amount of skill set required for many occupations. So just assume that's our baseline to get in the door, to get in for the interview. Now let's put the core values on top of that and build, build from there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, oftentimes I'm going to selfishly try to tap into to your knowledge here, Todd. So, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm higher up in the, the, the leadership organization and I often have to make, you know, those nitty gritty decisions about who we're going to hire and, and who we're not, or, or who we're going to move on and, or versus ones that we're going to, you know, give another shot and continue to invest in them. And so when you're looking at potential candidates and you have somebody that just has a stellar resume, their interview, they knocked it out of the park versus the internal candidate, right? So it might be an internal, external candidate versus internal candidate who just doesn't present well, doesn't interview well, you know, resume hasn't been updated since when they first joined the, you know, the, the corporation agency like 10 years ago. Um, but there's this feel and there's a lived experience with this person that they could do the job. Like help, help me through that. Like how, how do you see through the resume in order to, to value the DNA there? I think it's the, the key word that comes to mind is curiosity. Mm. Approach it with curiosity. I think mm -hmm. so many people in the interview process get so wrapped up in selling the candidate, the job or, or, or over promising or over promoting. If, if you've got somebody internally that you th has applied, you know, most jobs I've seen for internals, you have to apply for it. No one just comes and taps you on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. and, and if they want it, have them tell you why they can do it. And if you, and, and I always tell my clients when they're interviewing, ask a version of the question of why three to five times mm -hmm. or tell me more. I mean, the greatest recruiter trick in the world is just tell me more mm -hmm. and let them talk themselves either in or out of the job. And it, it, again, it goes back to, I'm really curious to understand, Nick, why you applied for this job. Tell me more about it because I'm not seeing it on your resume. Help me help you. Mm -hmm. And the help me help you comes down to, not maybe help me help you get the job, but help me help you either flesh out why you're awesome or maybe point out, hey, listen, you're, you're early in the stage. You're, you're, great. you're a great person on our team. Mm -hmm. You fit our core values. You're a great person on the company bus. You're in the wrong seat. Let's get you in the right seat. And I've got a, a client I'm working with right now. He's um, got a, a, a he, he calls it his go-to guy. His go-to guy is awesome on nine out of 10 projects. But the go-to guy sees himself and self-identifies he should be doing just this 10th piece, which is a sales piece, which is not a strong suit. Mm -hmm. Operationally, he's a rock star, but he wants to sell. And so I said, well, find out why that's important to him. And, and don't take the first answer. Like, like, make, like make this one question an entire hour conversation. Mm -hmm. 
and find out why he has to identify so externally with, I've got to be able to drive revenue. I've got to sell. Because you can very clearly see he has value. His job is not in jeopardy. He makes great money for an operations. So what about his history, his, his upbringing, his self-talk? Why does he see himself being a salesperson? Because you know, I find, I don't know if you see this, but a lot of people realize, you know what? I think I should be doing this. One, I'm not very good at it. Two, I really don't want to do it, but I'll do it because that's what the company's DNA says or the company culture says I should be doing this title. And, and, I, and this is just a conversation I had with him yesterday. He said, let me know what he says because there could be an opportunity where he recognizes, I really think I'd be rocking. I need more training. Here's the three training options I've seen. Can you just pay for me to go to a class? Can you hire a coach for me? I think I can do this. And if it doesn't work, then I've tried and it's just not for mm-hmm. me. So many people from you know, certain generations are so worried about filling up the, building up their deficiencies. I'm a big believer in the Marcus Buckingham process of play to your strengths. Mm-hmm. And so find out if he sees, if he really thinks those are his strengths, can you train him up? But sometimes the leader's job is to hold up a mirror to those situations and let them arrive at, maybe this job isn't for me. <laughs> and I haven't titled this uh, episode yet, but this, this may get titled something, you know, along the lines of, you know, how to land your next job, because, you know, you're, you're a master at your craft. I have a lot of, you know, positive notches in, in in the belt, so to speak, in terms of helping people, you know, land their careers. I was just talking to an employee yesterday who's going into an interview Friday, you know, kind of coaching them up about, you know, how to present yourself. So, we're going to compare notes here, uh, Todd, and, 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 the, and, the, and the listeners are going to benefit from that tremendously. And, but he, here's one of the things that I learned. And once I heard it, it just kind of like, you know, the, the skies parted and the light shone, shine down that um, no matter what's the questions that are on an interview, right? The questions that they hand you, um, no matter what they are, there's really only one or two things that are ultimately that they're looking for. Yes, you have to have the technical answers to the questions, right? You've got to have that. Most people can get those by looking on what is posted on the company or organization's website, right? So that's, so that's, you know, kind of um, hurdle number one. Are you smart enough to go look and see it? Hey, this is what we do as an organization. Can you regurgitate that, right? Uh, Are you smart enough to do that? But number two is really what you're trying to convey and you you only have less than an hour to do that in most scenarios is, can you be trusted? Mm. Can can you be trusted to be part of this team, part of this organization um, to, to execute this job and that not that may not be a question. Like if people had your curiosity um, um, lens in terms of how to structure an interview, they they probably get there really quickly, right? Um, but I don't even know that interview panels themselves kind of understand that, right? Um, yeah. But but that's what. So I told him, you know, I tell people that's what you need to convey, right? And mm-hmm. here's the other secret: if this is the first time that they've ever heard your name or seen you it's going to be tough for them to kind of get that. Yeah. We trust this person. Right. So your thoughts on that in terms of. So, kind so of- when I think it, when I think of trust, I think there's a couple ways that they can do it. So now if your resume doesn't match your LinkedIn profile, they are not going to trust you. It's honestly just that simple. And I've seen Mark Canada's blow up. Well, you know, I did, I just did my LinkedIn profile, you know, a year ago, but my resume is five years old. They've got to be 85, 90%, 100%. First thing. Secondly, if you want to earn trust of somebody, I would tell your candidate, Walk in with five kick-ass stories about why you're a rock star. Whatever the job is, whether you're a rock star janitor or a rock star CEO, 
Rockstar, you know, fry cook at, at fast food. There's have five stories of what you can do because to that point of trust, I think people want to hire, <clears throat> you know, it depends on the layers, but ultimately I want to hire an employee who's not going to be a problem. So you're going to be a problem solver, not a problem creator. And are you going to be a profit center for my entity? And someone said to me, well, how can you, how can a janitor be a profit center to the entity? Oh, it's really easy. Let's break it down. And then it, what I do is I arm my candidates, the janitor, using that as kind of a, a more entry-level position. Here's five ways you're going to make that company better. Here's five ways you're going to make that company more successful. And you'd be surprised how many people, I've got a friend of mine, he just told this story. We just did a, a, a panel together. His name is Nigel Bennett out of, out of Vancouver, Canada. And he hired this young man as an intern when he was 18. Fast forward, he's now the CEO. Wow. He started out as an intern. And he bought into the core values of the companies and he went to school while working there and learned every aspect of the job. And he connected with ownership. He solved problems for ownership. He took things off ownership's plate to make their jobs easier. He became essentially, you know, if I could tell candidates one thing, be indispensable, be right. irreplaceable, yep. regardless of what you do. Even if your job is maybe being phased out or automated, where can you pivot into mm -hmm. and bring solutions to your employer if you're already employed there? Hey, listen, I see my job is being eliminated. I'm not blind. I can do these other things. And in fact, I went on YouTube. YouTube's the most searched engine in the world right now. Second or it's first to find Google. And people can own your process, own your stuff. It's all, again, for me, just goes back to inside out work and everything people do. Right. Absolutely. And, and I had a thought while you were, while you were talking there is, you know, as, a, as an employee or as, as a candidate going in, in for an interview, you know, imagine if you are, are going into that being crystal clear about what your personal core values are. And like you said, going in there with, with your five kick-ass stories and having those just demonstrate um, your, your values as a person, right? Right. I mean, and then so, go ahead. It's funny. My, my son's a CPA. Uh, you don't, you chose not to go down the entrepreneurial path. And I guess if you thought you're going to lose your house when you're 11 or 12 years old, maybe that'd freak you out too. <laughs> um, but, but I'm working with him. He lived in California at the time and he's trying to figure out what he was going to do. Now, now he's moved back to Michigan. But at one point I said, you know, he, because he, he basically, his dream was, I want to travel around the country in a Winnebago, go climb, mountain climbing and be a CPA. How do I make both oppositional worlds come together? I said, oh, it's really simple. Buy a Winnebago get the, the uh, go pay for the most expensive internet possible and, and, and sell work product solutions. Meaning ta you know, this, nobody cares how many hours it took to do your tax return. Tax return is $1,500. I will do your tax return for you. Get really good at it and only put in X number of hours. And then you're going to get money coming in. What I think we're going to see. And I think one of the, the underlying, you know, with, with, within the, the tragedy of COVID, there's an opportunity. One of the opportunities, I think, is, is companies and employees specifically are going to either sell themselves as employees or jobs are going to be sold to employees as net result jobs. I produce X number of tax returns. I produce X number of product or X number of results, web, whatever these folks are going to be mm -hmm. making. And, and that's how they can go in and do those things. They can show the value. It's very clear. It's very demonstrable because, you know, a lot of employees want to leave work at the door. They want to leave jobs that are entrepreneurs. I, I, I coach them differently. Like it's work-life integration. Wherever you go, there you are. You're both your family and your personal are with you. As we morph into this next generation of what work is going to look like, that work-life integration is going to bleed into the general populist workforce because they're going to be working differently. Working for, you know, I always tell companies, a piece of advice for employers, 
85% of jobs are applied for from a mobile device. Your ad should be short, sweet, to the point. And if you chalk it all full of your EEOC guideline nonsense, no one's going to get through it. <laughs> yeah. Make it tight. Put that stuff at the bottom, but let me decide in the first two swipes, yeah. do I, I want to apply for this or not? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer, and I was just having to coach uh, an employee through this too. I'm a big believer in one pager, like just like you know the one pager that you use. That if you can't yeah. if you can't communicate whatever it is that you need to have done or whatever the project is, whatever in one page, then you're going to lose the vast majority of people that you're going to need to to be have on board with whatever it is. And he's like, I can't do it in one page. I said, it's simple, but it's not easy. Yeah, well, but, if you're going to take a resume from multiple and make it one to one page, swap out numbers for the words. So I took, I, I grew sales. I grew sales by X percent or profits by X percent COO. I reduced costs by, mm -hmm. give me numbers. Numbers excite the senses. Mm -hmm. And if it's, the great thing about it is again, with that number, have a story. Sure. Tell me how you did it. Right. I mean, we're all salespeople, whether we like to admit it or not. Right. Hell, every time you go on a first date, it's a sales mm -hmm. opportunity. Yep. Yeah, I'm a big believer that another Daniel Pink book, right? To to be human is to sell, and uh, basically said today's workforce, especially in the U.S., is is 80% non-commission sales, right? E even if you aren't getting paid, you know, on every conversion, you're you're still doing conversion type work all the time. I have to sell my employees in in state government. Here's the direction we're going as an agency, right? T that's sales all day long, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. And the, and that's, I mean, I, that's gotta be, I can only imagine how challenging at times that could be with, again, perceptions and maybe yeah. historical thought processes or even outdated thought processes. Right. And, you know, that's a great point about leadership though, too. If you take a look at leadership as a totality, a lot of leaders think I should know what direction we're going to go in. And I should have the 10 steps it's going to take to get there. And I should be able to tell you when we're going to get there. Well, uh, I think COVID is even the playing field on that. We don't, it's the uncertainty around it. We don't right. know when it's going to end. It will end. In some form or fashion. But, you know, I, I see these messages all the time. Like, you know, when we get back to the way it used to be, we cannot salute the flag of the past. And the past was December. We can't salute the flag of the past at the expense of the opportunities of the future. It's going to look differently. I, I, I love music concerts. And if, you, if anybody can see me on the video, you can see I love baseball. I yes. have a lot of I, – I, so I can't go to concerts and I can't go to baseball games. And th those, those big money-making entities currently cannot operate the way they did. How can they work mm -hmm. going forward? Now, when we get a vaccine, I hope we will, fingers crossed, well, then we will be able to go back and ga you know, gather in larger populated environments like a concert hall or a stadium. Right now, we can't. What are they going to do? How can they do it differently? They've got to find a way because those are expensive infrastructures. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, one of the things that you said when you were talking about um, what an employee or a potential candidate can do you know, to, to lighten the load, so to speak, for, for, their, for their bosses and their leaders, that speaks to a mindset, right? Because a lot of people will say, I'm not going to do that until I get paid to do that. I'm, that's right. somebody else's job. I'm not going to do that. Right. And I was guilty of that for, for, for too many years in my career, but speak to that in terms of, you know, what's the difference in mindset between somebody who is willing to do that versus some of people out of spite aren't going to do that. And they're actually, sometimes they'll, they'll make that next person up, you know, the next layer up jobs more difficult just out of spite. Sure. Sure. And, you know, I'll go back to the work of Carol Dweck. It's either a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. e either you're a problem creator or a problem pro mm -hmm. sol solver. I mean, it really comes down to that. So I always say to the, you know, when it, the employees say, well, it's not my job. It, first thing I always find it's really important is people want to be seen and they want to be heard. You know this. And so I validate. I said, really? Well, you, I understand this. Not on your description. 
but, but take, take me through why you're, you're choosing not to do it. And they're like, well, I, I didn't say I wasn't choosing not to do it. So sometimes it really isn't. It's just, it's just a lack of awareness around word choices too. Mm-hmm. Um, that all starts at the top though. I really do believe that, especially with entrepreneurs, because we can really create whatever we want. We're maybe in government, it's a little more challenging, which I can totally understand. Mm-hmm. If as the leader, I'm willing to do the job that you're, that, you know, if, as a CEO, if I'm willing to, you know, walk, you know, sweep the floors, mm-hmm. it, yep. I, th- I find that, right. and I model that example and I repeat that, mm-hmm. that behaviors and in the folklore of the stories of the organization, they exist. Yeah. Uh, it makes it a whole lot harder, but there are people I've found that I call them, they get institutionalized. They work in large organizations with many, many layers and many, many support staff who can't pivot into working in an entrepreneurial environment because they're used to having people to do that. I, you know, there's 10 steps in this process. I do step five better than anybody else. <laughs> awesome. Well, in our tiny little 10 man company, you do all 10 steps. There, there is nobody else. Right. Well, that, that's, I, I need an assistant or I need a plan or I need a this. That's great. This is, but then in the interview, figure that out. Mm-hmm. You know, because maybe it's not for you. You know, a lot of people think I want to be the boss. A lot of people think I want stock. I want equity. I want to be an entrepreneur. H- has dawned on you because it didn't dawn on me when I started that I'm a an unpaid tax collector. That everybody else, including the government, gets paid first. I get paid last if there's still money, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You're like, uh, no, I never really thought of it like that because I was watching Shark Tank and some guy got a ten million dollar deal from Mr. Wonderful or Mark Cuban or whatever. Like. Yeah, um, it doesn't work that way for most of us. <laughs> Question for you, Todd. Is there a difference from your experience, understanding, and the way that you go about your work between management and leadership? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody can lead. Uh, I think of football. Uh, Bill Belichick is the head coach of the New England Patriots. He's also a leader of the New England Patriots. He's a very titled, stated leader of the, of the organization and of the team. I, I knew a guy who played with Tom Brady. He's like, yeah, Tom Brady runs the locker room. <laughs> and Bill Belichick is okay with that. So there's two different kinds of leaders. One is, one is titled, one is untitled. You see that a lot in organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, when, it, when it comes to – this is just kind of how I looked at it. Uh, and then, again, this is more of, a, I think, a personal choice. I, I'd rather manage a project than manage a person. I, I, I think it's, if I don't believe that I'm good enough to teach someone to be motivated, I think I am good enough to create an environment for their motivation to come through. I'm good, I think I'm, I'm talented enough to create an environment where the, 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 the ability to rise to the top is, is in the room. Um, but I, I, I'm not, I am not that good that I can motivate someone to get out of bed mm-hmm. and show up on time. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I'm not that good. Mm-hmm. And, I, and as soon as you meet somebody, I can't wait to hear the podcast where that guy comes on because I've never heard of that guy either. Um, so there is, there's, it's, a, it's a dual relationship. I can coach you if you're coachable. I can lead you if you're looking for leadership. Mm-hmm. I can train you to be a leader if that's a skill set you want to acquire. Sure. Um, certainly there, there are tasks that need to be managed. There are timelines that, that need to be adhered to, benchmarks that need to be reached. So those to me are, are, are very different. Those are, those are process driven. I can see in with maybe with younger people or maybe less experienced people or different parts of the world where management is more important, but people can, nowadays people can choose to opt in and out so easily mm-hmm. that if you can inspire them and you can go back to their core values and, and, 
tug on their, their heartstrings or, or come up with ways, you know, millennials, their millennials literally are willing to work for less money for more flexibility and freedom. The data proves it out. Right. I can't really sure how I'm going to manage that person. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'm, we're seeing it in, you know, in my organization that we're bringing on, you know, the, the barely twenties and we're having to, to see that front and center. Like I actually have to show up to get paid. Like what, what kind of a deal is this? Right. Well, <laughs> but it's so funny because I, I hear that all the time. And I've got a, I'm doing a program this evening for, for a manufacturing group and they get so frustrated because these guys are usually either second generation or they're all, they got a bunch of gray hair, you know, they're that, that space. And they're like, I started off on the, on the shop floor sweeping up and now I'm the plant manager and these people don't want to do this and these people don't want to do this. And this is the first time in our country's history where we have five generations potentially working together. Right. So let's take a look at your reality because, you know, Stockdale Paradox 101 from Jim Collins. This is my brutal reality and this is how I'm going to get through it. That's it. And, and I share with them, again, the story about millennials working for less money and more flexibility and freedom. The other part I challenged them is I said, you know, we've got a generation of young people by and large, if they played a sports, for example, who got a trophy, a, a, an award, or a ribbon, a juice box, and a Rice Krispie treat at the end of everything, and it's taken some of the competitive nature out of work, out of being successful, because, well, I didn't get rewarded for being the best. I got rewarded for just showing up, and, 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 they, and there's a gap in, in how that's communicated that, you know, in our organization, and say this in the interview, in our organization, we want people who want to win. Here's what winning looks like to us. Winning is a great customer journey. Winning is being a great teammate. So part of the forbidden words, and I had a client do this, part of the forbidden phrases in our company is, it's not my job. So you can, so what it, here's what marketing will do. And job, I mean, a job ad is nothing more than marketing. A job ad will do one of two things if written properly is you'll either attract who you want or it will reflect and deflect who you don't want. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, getting towards the end of the show here, Todd, and I don't know, I, I don't know about you, but I felt like we could keep doing this, <laughs> go on, on and on and on. Um, but this show obviously centers on mindset and helping people understand, you know, what that is and then how they can, you know, upgrade their mindset. And I got confronted with this about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, somebody that I was working with said, what is mindset? And I was kind of like, uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> so, yeah, and, I, yeah. and I really kind of had to, to think about it. And so I kind of went on a quest to, to, you know, I read Carol Dweck's book, Growth Mindset. And, and she, she has her concept, but I don't think she owns the market on, on, on what mindset is overall. And so, but throw it back to you. I mean, you've used the term quite a bit and obviously it's at play in, in the work that you do. How do you define mindset? Sure. Uh, great question. Uh, I think mindset, as I experience it, starts in a couple of different areas. So mindset I've experienced with most of my clients, what they experience is how we talk to ourselves. You know, the, the itty bitty negative committee in our head or the, you can, the you can say the real word or the itty bitty shitty committee in their head. I mean, that's what the, I deal with that. I dealt with that for two hours this morning before I got on my call with you and where that comes from is important for me. My styles, I want to understand. I don't, I'm not going to take you back. We're not going to lay on the couch and do 17 hours of therapy. I'm not qualified for that, but I need to understand why you think that way and why you behave that way. I did that. So my coach said, you know, you have a doom loop in your head. So let's trade the tape out for a, a better loop. And what we did is we had, we called it the five positive things we have to do every day. Some days, the first thing I, and I'd report. So, so it was 
mindset shifting for me comes with identifying what's working, what's not working. Are you in reactivity or creativity? Reactivity is fight or flight. Creativity is I want to have a fulfilling life. And there's a gap in how do we close that gap. What my coach did for me is what are your five positive things? First thing a lot of times was I got out of bed. I went to the gym. I ate a nutritious lunch. I mean, you're thinking, well, that's just basic life stuff. You'd be surprised if, if someone shows up, you know, 60 pounds overweight, slogging and dragging, chain smoking, or smelling like, you know, bourbon, there's a lot going on with that guy, a lot going on with that gal. Um, so then, you know, what is their reactivity? What is their fulfillment space? How do we close that gap? And it's constant repeat reinforcing. This is the analogy I give. My itty bitty shitty committee and I used to drive in a car together. We're going to call it a Mazda Miata. It's a two seater. <laughs> Because the committee was making more money than I was in 2006. And the committee was driving that car. As soon as I switched seats with the committee and put them in the passenger seat, everything changed. It's still in there. You know, fight or flight is there for a reason from a, you know, a historical you know, caveman perspective. You know, I didn't want to get eaten by a dinosaur either. I'm glad right. my relatives didn't. Right. It serves us well until it doesn't. You know, don't put your finger in the light socket. Probably really good advice for a four-year-old. So again, that's kind of the programming. How do we work with that? So now I tell my clients that, listen, when you're heightened and you're reactive and you're triggered, here's what you're probably going to hear. And I use, and I take notes and I repeat back the language they've given me. Like, yeah, it's like you're in my head. Sure. Well, how about this word for that word? How about this phrase for that phrase? And we slowly but surely kind of create new neural pathways, create different mindsets. And we talk about how they can do it. So I had a client this morning, perfect example. She's all reactive. Needs a new accounting system, new, needs, needs new everything. You know, literally needs to refinish her business. Her leadership team came to her, we can help. I'd love your help, but, I'd love your help, but. She said like three times, I'm like, do you, how do they react? We looked a little deflated. <laughs> said, what, what if I, hey, I'd love your help and. Just change that but for the and or, you know, and both mindsets. She's like, I'm going to try it. Got a, I got a text before I got to say, oh my gosh, it went so much better because they, they felt included. I believe by and large, most people want to be part of a winning team. Sure. Most people want to contribute to a winning team. And it's often us as the leaders who, because we're you know, wrapped in fight or flight, wrapped, not, not being uh, creative in our mindset, not being curious, mm -hmm. we shut them down and we don't even know it. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. I think, uh, you know, I've used that a ton too. And, and one of those kind of embarrassing moments for me when it, when it was actually explained to me not that long ago is, you know, our brains are designed for one thing, which is to keep us breathing. Right? Yes. That's yes. It. I mean, that's, that's what it was designed for to keep us alive. So when we do anything or we, when we contemplate anything that, that has any sort of risk associated to it, our brain is going to give us a thousand reasons why that's not a good thing to do right? Mm -hmm. um, should, I, should I tell that person over there about my business opportunity? Oh, no, that might be scary. And they might tell you no, and then you're going to be embarrassed. And you know what I mean? Your brain yeah. will just do that. But shifting the way that we talk to ourselves, mm -hmm. your brain's going to fill in all of those voids then too, yeah. right? Yeah. And, I, and I, tell, I tell my clients, so basically, you're, when you replace the doom loop with a different positive more, all you're doing is trading problems. I got a client hired me, <laughs> Oh, so now that I'm working with you, all my problems are going to go away. I'm like, yeah, I am the wrong guy for that. I am, I am not Merlin the magician. It doesn't work that way. The example I gave him said, so I was $600,000 in debt. That's a pretty measurable problem, right? Absolutely. So, then I, so once I got out of debt, I had a new problem. I had to pay more taxes. They're both money problems. I'd rather have, I got to pay more taxes because I'm making more money or the company's more profitable than, oh, crap, I'm going under and I got to file bankruptcy and, 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 and. 
Yeah. All we're doing is swapping problems. Um, you know, single people. Gosh, I just wish I could get more pot, more first dates. Married people. I just wish I could get get along better with my spouse. I mean, you're you're, you're trading problems. Mm-hmm. And, and but what I, what I love about shows like yours is it's bringing these these unstated issues to the forefront, so people realize. Because oftentimes we say, "I'm the only one who's dealing with this. What's wrong with me? Um, my negative bias is this, etc." Versus, oh, so, I, so I'm just like Todd and Nick. Yeah, you probably just are. <laughs> yeah, and I. Uh, I'm a big Jocko Willink fan too, and he talks about in his his book series that there is no um, there's no right answer. There's just a trade off of pros and cons. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, very well said. Mm-hmm. And I and of course his comes from you know lived battlefield experience, right? Here's the plan going into this battle, but guess what? <laughs> well, and those guys, you know, it's it's amazing when you really talk to these these military leaders, and you really like get deep, and they're so my I'm so shocked at how many of them are just so upfront and I call it ATV, authentic, transparent, and vulnerable about what they had to go and the decisions they had to make. And when they, you look at it and you dissect it down, they were making literally life and death decisions with about 30% of the information. Right. Now you, we have, I have CEOs, well, I can't make a decision until I have all the facts. Right. Like, well, then you'll, you, know, I go, you basically just decided you're never going to make a decision. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest things that can stall somebody out from taking a leadership position is um, they don't want to make a wrong decision. And so some, some people, you know, do have that style of, I need, I need all the information before I can make a decision. And sometimes that puts people at more risk. Sometimes that makes the opportunity come and go because you're still waiting to to make a decision. And yeah. And the great thing is that now that you can do diagnostics and tests to see how you make the decision, you know, we call them the high fact finders, I, I was not a high fact finder when I got into debt and now I've become a little bit more even balanced. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing wrong with being a high fact finder. A great thing about if you really pull back at a 10,000 foot view, and I tell this to all of my clients, there, there, there's no good or bad. There's no right or wrong. If you're a high fact finder, then how do we get you mm-hmm. to make decisions either quicker or maybe with fewer facts or get the facts brought to you quicker? Because paralysis by analysis is not a strategy either but if you know your body and your IQ, your intelligence and your IQ and your EQ all run high fact finder, perfect. I can work with that. Whereas the quick starts. So if you're a quick start, I want to mirror you with a high fact finder and create a, a way for you guys to play the game. Could you put a quick start with a high fact finder, the CEO versus a C, and a CEO together? Those people, if they understand each other, to, can be so powerful together. Yeah. And I think we're living that right now in this COVID-19 environment as well. I mean, we have the high fact finders, i.e. the epidemiologists that are, that are trying to forecast, you know, what's going to happen and, and how it's going to unfold. And then you have the people here that are actually on the ground seeing, seeing the data, right? And we're, we're not communicating very well at this point in time. Yeah, right? well, it, it's, it's so important from a leadership perspective. When you do look at the political landscape, it's so key, I think, to have a very clear message and a very consistent message. Mm-hmm. Because what I found happens, and I, I mean, I had this happen with my CEO clients. They freak out when they don't have a consistent messaging and a clear messaging. And there's nothing wrong with saying, today, I understand the, the world is going to be green. Next day, hey, I woke up. Today, it was red. And here's why. And it doesn't make you a weak leader. It doesn't make you a bad leader. Because when, when left to our own devices as general people, we will fill in the gaps mm-hmm. and we're not going to fill it in with like the sun. We're not Annie. The sun's not going to come up tomorrow. We're not going to walk around mm-hmm. and, and we're going to fill it in. Typically our employees are going to fill it in with negatives. And it's like one of the biggest things I've had to drive home to my leaders that I work with is communicate, 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 
and then communicate some more. Mm-hmm. You got one leader. She's awesome. She's so coachable. She was only communicating with everybody on email. She was getting crickets in response. I said, shoot a video, put a 90 second video out there. Have somebody put together, you know, a, a, a broadcast channel for you. And it was like 10 bucks and, and just shoot a video every day and get people engaged. She goes, I went from zero engagement. I've got 80% engagement on a consistent basis. And all she's doing is a 90 second soundbite every day. Here's where we are. Here's where we stand. Here's what we're working on. I got PPP, PPP money. Here's what we're challenged with. Here's what I'm hearing from a customer. I had this great conversation. She's just putting it, but she's super consistent. She does it at the same time every day, 90 seconds. And then she, she opens herself up for conversation. She's not hiding. She's not ducking. Because her inclination is like, listen, I don't have all the answers and I feel like a fraud. Or imposter syndrome screaming. I'm like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Be available. Hey, talk to Nick. Nick, I don't have all the answers. Yeah, me neither. Let's have an empathetic conversation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I think you're right in there. I, I think employees can then, if like, if you don't, if you don't, your ATV, right? If you're not vulnerable in that piece of, hey, I don't have all the answers too, then your employees run the risk of them thinking that you're holding out on them. Right. Right. right? And what you're holding out on them is going to be detrimental to the business detrimental to them and their family all you go back to the bottom of the hierarchy Mm -hmm. i'm now very unsafe Mm -hmm. so rather than you and here's what the flip of that is those people are either going to go looking for other jobs or they're going to create and then there's going to be a a really savvy entrepreneur like if you've got cash you've got opportunity you've got openings and you've got hard to fill jobs now is the time to be hiring they're like really i'm like oh yeah because there's blood on the street so to speak Mm -hmm. plenty of displaced people if you can create a safe space for them to land in a company that's growing, you're going to get some great people, maybe even at more cost-effective salaries mm-hmm. or income streams, that, and you're going to sell them on your – going back full circle from an hour ago, sell them on your culture. Sell them right. on where you are. Core values. Core values. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and, we're, and we're definitely seeing that in, 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 the, in the work that we do. And it's, for us, it comes down to safety, right? I mean, I'm, I'm in a corrections environment. I've got, I've got uh, two, two kids right now in youth corrections that are in uh, medical isolation, which means they've tested positive for COVID. And um, we have to communicate, 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 but also that with that vulnerability. And, you know, as, as you're seeing the forecasts come through, I mean, we're look, looking at a, $26 million uh, budget shortfall just in this uh, biennium for us in the state of Oregon. So I have new employees. This is my third or fourth time around because I've been in it for 20 plus years sure. of, of seeing this, but I've got new employees that are legitimately concerned and scared about their career. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't have all the answers And in terms of state government budget, that becomes very political, but oh, I'm sure. also, but I'm also not afraid to have the conversation and I'm not afraid to say, look, I can't tell you exactly how this is going to roll out, but I'm willing to tell you what I've experienced before in the past. And I, you just have to know that this may be some incorrect information, but I'm willing to have the conversation. with. I think that is, that, that is courageous leadership to me. I'm like, I'm like excited to hear you having those conversations. I was talking to somebody the other day from, um, uh, a, a really distressed company and she's looking to hire a coach. She's like, you know, I've talked to these three other four other people, but your name keeps coming up. Why should I, why should I engage with you? And I could see by her on the screen. I said, I'm going to guess you're probably give or take not 51. Like I am. She starts laughing. She's like, uh, far from it said, you know, it, it I've been through nine 11. Mm-hmm. I've been through a recession. I just reinvented my entire business in less than six weeks for coaching, speaking, and platforms. I said, so, so I am a lifelong learner. 
So, and I learned from those mistakes in the past. I learned from the mistakes of others. I learned from my 2006 mistakes. So, so I don't know what the other coaches you've talked to, but guys, you know, like you and I, who've got a little bit of gray hair on the top are saying, I've been through those wars. I've been through those tough times and plug into our confidence that we will find a way through. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Oh my gosh, I never even thought of it like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, there's such an important ability to be able to put one foot in front of the other every day, not exactly sure where you're going to go, stumbling around in the dark, but let, you know, falling over and laying on the side of the road is not a strategy. If you can look up, you can get up from the great. There you Brown, go. Right? Sounds, like a, sounds like a boxing analogy. That's right. Yeah, Les Brown. Les Brown, for sure. Um, Growing up in the South, I'm sure he did get put on his can. Yeah, quite a for bit. sure. Yeah. So, um, Todd, this has been a, uh, just a, the hour flew by. I can't believe it. And we both have to go. And I hope that we can do this again and that we Absolutely. can continue to work together because, you know, the overlap yeah. did, did prove to be oh, there. Oh, for, for sure. sure. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Um, to tell the folks that are listening how they can uh, connect with you. I mean, obviously you're a coach and obviously you help uh, entrepreneurs uh, launch their ideas uh, and you're also, you know, available to work with uh, organizations and CEO. Yeah. Coaching. It, how, it's how funny. Find you? Yeah. It's crazy. I, I was doing so much work 90 days ago with, with startups and entrepreneurs. Now I'm doing so much leadership coaching with, you know, people in, at all different levels. I appreciate you pointing that out. And the best place anybody can catch up with me is truly through my website extraordinaryadvisors.com my email address todd at extraordinaryadvisors.com you can also find me on instagram on social media through linkedin through facebook i know that's where nick and i connected mm-hmm. um and, and i'd like to make this offer to anybody who, who hears this program is anybody who needs 30 minutes of my time i'm happy to give it to you for free i'm not going to drop you into an email churn system nothing like that because i i worked about a dozen years ago with a guy named simon Sinek before mm-hmm. his first book came out and he taught me over two years, two words. My, my purpose in life, my core, my ultimate core value is to improve lives. So, you know, I have someone who called me the other day, like, I was really reluctant to reach out. No, reach out. Because if I can help you in one conversation, feel a little bit better or feel a little bit more secure or have some clarity, less reactivity, more clarity, I'm happy to do it. And you just never know where the conversation is going to go. But by all means, if anybody wants to reach out, just call, you know, reach out to me, Todd at extraordinaryadvisors.com. I'll get you on my calendar and we'll have a conversation. That's an extremely generous offer. And I've run into a lot of people like Todd that are doing that same offer right now. In this environment, there's a lot of things that are turned upside down. And to have people like Todd in this world saying, hey, I'm here to help. No strings attached. If I can give you a 30-minute power call, that's what I'm here for. And so uh, hats off to you. We, we need more people like you mm-hmm. out there. Because there's a lot of people that are looking to, to take advantage of people right now too, right? I mean, you know, and- I, I think now, now is not a time to sell. Now is the time for servant leadership. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to try and get somebody come into my, you know, five step can program for $600. No, 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 no. There, there will become a time to sell. And I've got, I mean, I'm not going to be dishonest with the audience. I've gotten coaching clients from this, mm-hmm. but I got coaching clients who, who are, are uh, in a spot where they can, you know, compensate and they're in a spot where they're ready to grow. I talked to other people for free who, you know, they just need to, they just need to get one stuck. A woman who is a home-based business. She couldn't figure out how she's going to do more of her little party events came up with, in 10 minutes with, a, with an online program. She did $2,000 that first Saturday because she sold home romance products to couples that were captured at home because sports and bars are closed. So the men are there, the women are there. They're buying stuff online and she was happy as heck. I may never talk to her again, but I know that I lived in my core value and I know I was able to improve her lives and she made two grand. Mm-hmm. Who loses? Nobody. <laughs> right. 
All right, Todd, thank you. One last thing. So back to your mindset tip about five positive things. Take us home on that. If, if for the people that are in the, again, this is COVID-19 scenario, the people that may have lost their job and they're listening to this because they got time on their hands, um, five positive things for that person who doesn't know where their income is going to come tomorrow, the next day, a week from now, a month from now, help, help them walk through the five positive things that they could start sure. doing. You know, I think the first, so one, if you're, if you're currently displaced, uh, my heart goes out to you. These are tough times and it's through no fault of your own. So first thing I would tell you, the first positive thing is don't beat yourself up. Mm. Um, I know don't is a negative, but you know, replace your doom loop with it with, with more positive mindset of regarding this is my current, current reality and I will get through it. So first thing I would suggest is get up and exercise, do yoga, do something, listen to a podcast, feed your brain, feed your muscles, feed your experience with something positive that's going to be good for your heart, good for your soul. Um, pick up some good books. I've cranked through a book a week right now. Audible's got to be, if I had stock in Audible and Zoom, I'd be like a billionaire. Um, get, get an audio book. Just feed your, feed your mind with something positive. Stay off of social media. That'd be my third thing is if you can't avoid social media to the very best of your ability, or if you've got negative people in your tribe, get rid of them. Mm -hmm. One thing I found, this has been the biggest game changer for me, is I have, every day I reach out to five people that I haven't, so it's my five and five, five people I haven't communicated with in the last two months to six years. I've rekindled the relationships. Mm -hmm. I've healed old wounds, believe it or not. I've had people like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you took the time to reach out to me. The expression of gratitude. I, and, and I think lastly, going to the gratitude piece is, be great, be great, express as much grateful as you possibly can in the world we're in right now. Mm -hmm. And it can be gratitude for something, you know, uh, I, I just saw somebody do this, a friend of mine posted this picture, how it made a, his daughter get all tear-eyed because she, he was so grateful for her writing a wonderful Mother's Day card last weekend. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even for him, but he recorded it, put it up. Mm -hmm. He's getting choked up. She's getting choked up. Mom gets it. it it's, it's that expression of gratitude. You want to get out of a, this is what I learned from Sean Aker. You want to get out of a, a negative mindset or a depressive mindset. First thing is express gratitude to three people every day. Mm -hmm. so that, those would be my tips. Awesome. Appreciate that so much. Todd, thank you so much for being on the show. You brought a lot that I know that my listeners are going to be able to benefit from. And I hope that somebody out there, if they're struggling, reaches out to you because I, I think you can help them. I think you might be their man, not, not Merlin, the magician, right? But if, no. you're, if, you're, if you're coachable and you're willing to do the work, uh, Todd's going to show you how to get from point A to point B. You know, I, 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 I love being the guide of their hero's journey. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Todd. Thanks so much. Take care. That was Todd Palmer, and oh my goodness, did we cover a ton of ground in that jam-packed one-hour interview. really appreciated Todd's five positive things that you can do to replace what Todd calls your doom loop. So your doom loop is what I would call the default negative mindset. It's that script, it's that tape that keeps running over and over and over again. So Todd's five positive things is a great antidote to that. As you caught, Todd's an author, he's a coach, he's got a website, and I'm going to put all that information into my show notes, but you have to get over to my website in order to see those links and get those details. My website is www.nicksotello.com forward slash T-U-L podcast, the Upgraded Life Podcast. While you're over at my website, don't forget to check out the three opportunity buttons at the very top. 
they are scheduling a time with me. I'll give you a free 30-minute strategy session. Checking out CBD products from Nature's Ultra. And then also, if you're looking to create an additional stream of income, I can help you out with that too. This takes 20 minutes of your time. Click on the button that says Income Boost. Give me your name and email, and I'll send you a presentation. Thank you again so much for listening to my show, The Upgraded Life Podcast. If you got something out of Keith Weber's information, his info on kettlebells and mindset and just his overall story, let me know by going over to Apple Podcasts. Leave me a five-star review, and that will tell me that you enjoyed the show. This is Dr. Nick Sotelo, and I'm urging you to do something today to realize and reach your potential, and I'll catch you on the next show.